great writers don't just have the words flowing out of them. The great writers work on the writing. They, they write it and they go back and back and back. So, Hey, Tim. Hello, how are you? Doing great, man. How, how is it up in Canada? Things are good. The seasons are turning. Life is good. Okay, we're down here in Texas and it's, it's already hot and humid. It was 90 degrees yesterday. All right, it's about four or five degrees above freezing here, which is actually about my sweet spot, but anyway. Oh, man, I can't even fathom that. Yeah, it's great. Okay, well, for, for people out there who don't know who you are, maybe they don't know that you're the grand poobah of, of blogging in, in the Christian world. At least that's what I call you. I don't know if anyone right. else calls you that. <laughs> Appreciate that, I guess. <laughs> tell, tell us about yourself, your family, your job, and, and what you do. Sure. Yeah, I have a blog at challies.com. MyLastName.com, which could seem like a, a real ego trip, but actually came about because I started it for my family, and it was really just meant to be something for my family, and it, it grew out of there. I do have a family. I have a wife I've been married to for just about 18 years, and I've got three children as well who are 16, 13, and 10. And you asked me about my job. My job now is writing. That's what I do until uh, a few months ago. I was on full-time staff at uh, my church, Grace Fellowship Church here in Toronto, but have since... Uh, gone to being just an elder there, no longer on staff. So I'm a full-time writer. Now, how long have you been writing, would you say? I've been writing most of my life, I guess, but I've been writing on the blog for, is it 13, 12 years, something like that? It's amazing. Uh, might even be longer. And I know you put put something up recently about how many consistent days of blogging. Do you know yeah. what's the most recent count? I don't know. I think it's like 12 and a half years or something like that. We're going we're gonna to have to talk about that in a little bit, talk about the discipline of writing and, and how sure. you do all that. But before we dive in, I always like to ask people, um, you know, what do you like to do for fun? Maybe what's something that Tim Challies does for fun that maybe we don't know about? Yeah. I don't do a lot for fun, to be honest. I, I like my life. I'm, I'm content doing what I do. So um, my job really is fun for me. So I don't feel like I need a lot of outside entertainment. But that said... Uh, sometimes I'll settle in for a bit of PlayStation or play a, a strategy game, Civilization, something like that with my son. Or, um, yeah, just, just things in that nature. I love to read, read books that aren't necessarily related to anything I'm ever going to write about. So probably of all the hobbies I've ever had, reading yeah. is the most consistent. Yeah, see, I, I, was, I had a hunch you were, some board game was going to come up. Yeah. At least once a year or so, something gets mentioned on the a la carte from the Amazon deals. Yeah, yeah, we do board games occasionally, not as much as I'd like, but that's partly the age spread in our family where either we have the older one bored or the younger one yeah. angry. So once the, the younger one is a little bit older, I think we'll be able to do a little bit more gaming. Yeah, like we just started playing uh, Ticket to Ride with my daughter. She's seven. Yeah, that's a great game. Oh, it's yeah. a blast. She loves it. But yep. my son is two, and there, I mean, there's just no way. We have to put him to bed and then yeah. and then play or else it's just a disaster. Right, and there's some amazing games. I know a lot of people hear board games and think geekery, but uh, you know we, we've evolved beyond Risk and Monopoly. There's lots of really good games out there that are great and fun for families. And I think the one that's often overlooked because it's so old and it's a it's a classic is the Game of Life. Yeah, my kids love that one. I can't oh. stand it personally, but oh, I know it's it's man, but it's fun. I enjoy it, especially the newer edition. You have to like, <laughs> you have to get up and act stuff out and to earn oh, money. Do you? Oh right. yeah, yeah. I haven't played good. it for a while. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Okay, so let's let's talk about the books you've written. Yeah. So uh, I think it was 2007 my first book came out. It was called The Discipline of Spiritual Discernment. And uh, yeah, it's coming up on 10 years now since I released that. 
I followed that with, uh, what was next? Sexual Detox, A Guide for Guys Who Are Sick of Porn, which, as you can probably guess, was a book about pornography, which seems kind of quaint or dated now. But at the time, uh, this was still kind of a new thing, just understanding mm. how pornography was so, so popular. There's just so much of it and how an entire generation of young guys was being influenced by it. So that had yeah. started as a blog series and turned into a book and a book that actually launched Cruciform Press, the right. publishing company I've been involved with. Then I wrote the next story, Life and Faith After the Digital Explosion, just trying to understand what all these digital technologies mean, what they're doing for us and to us and in us and through us. Uh, and then followed that with Do More Better, which is a book about personal productivity and a Christian view of productivity. And then just last week uh, came out with Visual Theology, which is a, a book about Christian living, but then supplemented with lots and lots of infographics. Yes, man. Do More Better is so good. Thank you so much for, for putting that putting that out for us. Good. Yeah, my pleasure. So helpful. And I, I started using Todoist more. I was using OmniFocus and yeah. I enjoyed it. Man, it was just so bloated for for, right. my, for my needs. And Todoist has just been wonderful. So if if you need to grow in productivity, and and not just in getting more done, but in in doing the things that matter for the glory of God and to love your neighbor, definitely go pick up uh, Tim's book on Amazon. Uh, Do more better. And Visual Theology, man, you're number one on the hot new releases in Christian theology. Sold out. So yeah. how, what's the best way to get a copy? I don't know, actually. As far as I know, you can't. Uh, they seem to be shipping them out, and they disappear or something. I, I honestly don't know. I'm completely perplexed. <laughs> so go, just pre-order on Amazon. Just Yeah, I think if wait. you order on Amazon, and I think Westminster Books said they should have some in within a week or 10 days. Um, they had ordered a batch. They're gone as well. So, yeah, I honestly don't know where to get it. Oh, man. It's got to be encouraging. Uh, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people eating up that theology. And... I suppose, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm waiting for my copy to come in. All right, great. So, uh, so how did you become a writer? Yeah, I became a writer, uh, I guess, inadvertently. As I said, uh, I bought the domain chalice.com to uh, do some writing for my family, or mostly to put pictures of my kids up. My parents had moved down to the States. They had moved to the Atlanta area. I took my three sisters and my brother with them. I had stayed home with my wife, and uh, we started to have kids. And I thought, now there's this new Internet thing. I can use to share some pictures back and forth. And then along the way, started writing the occasional thing and uh, putting it out there mostly for the benefit of my family. And uh, then, you know, Google started doing its thing or Yahoo or Alta Vista or whatever it was back then. They started picking up the articles. Other people started reading it. And so I got rid of the pictures of the kids and just kept doing the writing. So I sort of fell into it, to be honest, just in my own theological explorations. I was from a, a background of Reformed theology, had been had set up in a kind of church growth church, and so I was evaluating which way which way was right. What what did I really believe? And so a lot of those theological reflections just came out on the blog and became part of what was. I mean, it, there wasn't a term for this yet, but the young restless Reformed or new mm. Calvinism. I was very much just part, just one of the thousands or millions of people who was weighing those theological questions around that time. And so blogging for over 10 years now, almost almost daily. Yeah. And so I guess look, there's usually two things that I play when we think about writing, kind of the space that we're writing in, whether that's, you know, we're always at the same desk or uh, the tools that we're using, and then how that ties in with discipline. Sure. Because I, I know when I think about writing my, my first book, Gospel Formed, you know, it wasn't always this serene, beautiful environment. It was in hotels and on airplanes 
and all those kinds of things. So when you have this, you know, this daily grind and blogging, what, what's the environment for you as a writer? Well, it's changed a lot over the years, just as my life circumstances have changed. If I've been doing it for 12, 13, whatever years, obviously a lot has changed in that time. But today, I have an office in the basement, so basically just a corner of the basement. We live in a pretty small little house, so I can't have an entire room. So I have a corner of the basement where I set up shop, and I uh, just have a blank desk with a computer on it. And that's my ideal writing environment for, for almost everything I do. Occasionally, I like to try something else. So there's a coffee shop near here where the food is good, the people are miserable, and uh, the atmosphere is, <laughs> is mediocre. So I go there. I've written... Really, I wrote almost a whole book there oh, once, wow. and um, yeah, so I enjoy going there sometimes as well. But pretty well, I just stay at home in my in my office and do my writing there in the basement. So, do you, do you listen to music? Almost always, I have music going. Yeah, and uh, just when it comes to the final edit or to deep thinking, that's where I turn it off. You know how when you're driving in your car and you're looking for the address, you you don't even know you've done it, but you realize yeah. you turn the music off. I I find the same thing. Mm. So when I'm really deep concentration that's when the music goes off but I, I i pretty well always have something going in the background and often pretty loud as well yeah so when we met at t4g we we had, were at that dinner and yep. we talked about coffee for a second yeah and so what kind of do you drink coffee at home while you're writing i have two cups of coffee in the morning so i get up around five and i have a small coffee and then when my kids go out the door at eight i have a slightly larger coffee and then I have one more in the afternoon. So that is my my ritual that I very rarely deviate from. Oh, wow. Man, that's, pre- that's pretty caffeinated. Well, if the first coffee is six ounces and the second is eight and the third is eight, that's still the equivalent of having one venti, right, at uh, Starbucks. <laughs> so it's three cups, but it really doesn't add up to very much. Now, when you're writing, what kind of, what kind of tools are you using? Uh, one thing I should say about coffee, let's yeah, yeah. go back yeah. for a second. I don't remember if this came up in our conversation, but I like really mediocre coffee. I don't like that she-she expensive yeah. coffee. See, I wasn't so. going to bring it up. I was just yeah. going to let it go and because I saw you at Quills in Louisville. Right. And one of my favorite coffee shops. And yeah. I'm an un, a, like an unashamed coffee snob geek. I, okay. I just love yeah. it. I make yeah, a pour-over. They were doing over. pour-overs and all that yeah. stuff. I do a pour-over yeah. in my house every morning. Yeah, so I had one of those, and I thought it was really mediocre. So I went back to the hotel room and brewed whatever they had in that oh, little so, coffee maker, so and that was just delicious. I thought that was great. Oh, it's so sad to me, Tim. Yeah, <laughs> our 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 community in Christ will, will keep us together. That's yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, the gospel is big enough even for that. I think <laughs> we're together for the gospel. We're not together on coffee. That's that's right. for sure. All right, so so we got coffee. You got you got your coffee. That's an essential tool. What yep. what else are, what else are you using? Well, my really essential tool is Mac products, and uh, really I use just one app for almost all of my writing, which is Ulysses. Yeah. It's an app that exists on iPhone, iPad, and desktop, and I love it. I've been using it for some time now, and it just gives you a blank screen with no formatting options. You know how Microsoft Word has a billion buttons, yeah. and you can do mail merges, and you know you, there's just so much you can do with it. Ulysses just strips it down to the essence of writing, and yeah. I find that very, very helpful to take all that stuff away and just let me focus on the, the task at hand. Yeah, that's good. It is like the digital equivalent of a, just a blank piece of paper. Right. Yep, and it, it can go light or dark. You can choose whether you want your screen to be light or dark. You can choose your font size, you, but really there's not a whole lot more you can do with your font. I, I find fonts very important, which is yeah. a bit 
weird, I know, but I like to have just the right font. And uh, if I can do that, get it at the right size, and I find it just somehow helps in a weird way. Yeah, I love it. And I, I saw you mention it. I was using another one very similar to Ulysses, but it didn't have the, that robust file management. Right. And so now, man, I love it. I've got my, you know, I write a sermon manuscript every week. I have that in there. So I have this Ecclesiastes tab right now and then previous sermon series and articles for like TGC or FTC. And then now my, my own blog. And I write about the Houston Rockets uh, from the NBA. And so then I I have that tab. So man, I love it. That's just awesome. Yeah. And the next thing they're adding is export directly to WordPress, I believe. So that'll help a lot of bloggers out as well. Yeah. So when you, when you do that, when you write new leases, are you just copying and, and pasting it into the, into, well, what do you use? You don't use WordPress, do you? No, I use Drupal, so uh, there's no one-click export to that, so I just copy it in HTML code. It'll automatically translate your text to HTML, and I just drop that then into Drupal. So it's very quick once over. So when you think about uh, books on writing, some of the some of the famous books on writing or maybe ones that maybe we don't know about, what are some of your favorite books on the, on the art and craft of writing? You know, I think I've only read maybe two books on writing, so uh, I, I just... I just haven't done much in that. I tend to write instead of read about writing, and I know that's probably a fault, but uh, I've read On Writing Well a number of times by yeah. William Zinser, which is really, really good, always helpful, always challenging. And then I think the other one I've read would be Wordsmithy by mm. Douglas Wilson, but I don't know that I've read any others beyond that. When, yeah, I, I, I just can't are, think of any. Those are two of the best that, that I think yeah. I've read. Cause yeah, that, I think so. I think that's good, and it probably kind of goes into your discipline as a writer that it's easy for writers just to read about writing and feel like we're doing the work of writing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I know this is something you're likely to ask at some point, but when people come to me and ask, how can I be a writer? What books should I read? That kind of thing. I generally just want to tell them, just write. Don't read about writing. There's all these excuses we can come up with for not actually writing. But really the thing that will make you a writer better than anything else is just to write. So reading is good and certainly it's challenging. And I think some of the great takeaways from someone like William Zinser is you are a terrible writer and you just got to deal with that. You're not nearly as good as you think you are. And so you have to be absolutely, well, first humble to let other people evaluate your work and tear it apart for you. But you also just have to have that knowledge that you need to refine, refine, refine. The great writers don't just have the words flowing out of them. The great writers work on the writing. They, they write it and they go back and back and back. So yeah, that's, good. Uh, that's really encouraging to a writer, I think, to realize that it's not easy for anybody. That's really good. It, it reminds me of when I, man, in high school, I just did not pay attention. So my grasp of the English language was so poor and knowing how to use commas and semicolons and mm-hmm. what a, what an adverb is and, and all that kind of stuff. And then when I became a pastor at our church, my writing was still just so bad. And I just decided I've got to start, you know, being more disciplined and because I want to encourage our church in the gospel and write for them. And so I just decided when we were, we were reading through the new Testament in 30 days, I'm like, okay, I'm going to write a devotional every day for our church, yeah. 500 words or less, and I'm just going to do it. So some days it got done at 6 a.m., some days it got done at 11.59 p.m., <laughs> yep. but it happened. And I came out of the end of that, by God's grace, just different. Yep. Like I knew how to use sentences and, right. and learned how to use words to, to really help people um, behold the glory of God in, in sure. the gospel. Yeah, the approach of just forcing yourself to do it. And my 
blogging streak, whatever you want to call it, uh, really came out of that. I realized I was, I had a blog. I wasn't doing very well at it. I wasn't a very good writer. And so I said, I'm going to write every day for a year. And that was back in, I think, 2003. And, uh, at the end of the year, certainly I'd seen improvement, and that's partly just by taking that brute force approach. There isn't much you won't get better at if you do it every day for a year, right? Yeah. And uh, you asked earlier, so I just pulled it up. That's 4,561 days now that I've put something out Man. on the website. So that's just – so after I did every day for a year, I thought I'm going to do this again, and I've kept it up ever since. And that discipline is uh, – I think it, it has to make you a better writer, oh, right? Yeah. It, it, just through the, the again the brute force approach. That's amazing, man. So h- how do you keep? Because uh, you know some of the other episodes we talk about either writer's block or maybe the fear of what I'm going to write is not going to be good, and so we don't take that step in, in writing it really because of fear, man. Like I don't want to put out something bad. Yeah. And so how do you keep a steady stream of writing? I mean, to write that many days, you seem to have just endless ideas. And so where do, where yeah. are these ideas coming from? How do you keep it going? Well, one of the one of the tricky things about it is that I, I can't convince myself I actually have something worth saying every day. Like it, it could seem like this big ego thing to say to everybody, I have 365 things worth saying every year. Um, so I don't actually believe that. But w- what I've found over the years is that surprisingly, some of those things I dash off in 15 minutes and put out there really thinking, that's not very good. Are Those can be the ones that really resonate with people. Yeah. So I've learned that as long as it's true, as long as it doesn't communicate falsehood, I can say it, and it's probably going to benefit someone. Meanwhile, some of the things that I've, I've felt are really profoundly good or important or shaping, I put those out, and you can pretty well just hear the virtual crickets. So it, it often is there's a kind of urgency or a kind of reality in just putting things out there that can really resonate with people. Um, again, as long as sure that it's true and you can behind it you, I'm often surprised by what takes off by what really reaches people and what doesn't uh, as for where the ideas come from I guess over time you you start to think like a blog and I think a lot of people experience this with Twitter right where after a while you find yourself thinking in Twitter you find mm-hmm. yourself thinking in 140 characters yeah and I think the same is true in, in blogging which is both a blessing and a curse that you look out at life and think are there things I can take here that I can write about? Or you, you hear a sentence and it, you, your mind fixates on it. And so immediately, as soon as you get that idea, you got to put it into something. So I typically throw it into Ulysses or into Evernote. I put those ideas down because most of my best ideas, I'm convinced, are the ones I've forgotten about because I didn't write them down right mm. away. Uh, a lesson I learned from Gary Larson in his, one of his far side compendiums, he uh, years ago said that all his best ideas were lost because he didn't sketch them right away. Mm. So get it down right away and then just come back to it. And often I come back to an idea over the course of a week or even a couple of weeks and just add a sentence here and a sentence there. But it's it's percolating in the back of your mind, right? Just the way your sermon is getting better. If you finish your sermon on Friday and you preach it Sunday, it's getting better on Saturday, right? Because yeah, yeah. somehow in the back of your mind, it's chewing this stuff over. It's going down deeper. So to, to leave those ideas in a percolating stage for a while, kind of having a sense of here's what I want to write about over the next few days, and then maybe next week I'll write about this. Well, as those ideas suddenly bubble up to the surface, you can throw them into Evernote again and add a sentence or two. And then by the time it comes to actually write it down you've probably got a few solid ideas to structure the article Mm, that's good and so for we and i know at t4g you were i think on the the band of bloggers uh panel 
mm-hmm. and talking about does blogging matter? And yeah. so, so let's say someone's listening, college student, um, you know, maybe a single mom out there, and she's she's thinking about starting a blog or wanting to become a writer. Does yeah. does blogging still matter? And probably in some terms yes, and some terms no. But what should writers do if we we don't have a mega platform? Well, if you go back ten years and or fifteen years before we were using the word blog, you remember that information was not nearly as democratized as it is today, right? You had uh, in the Christian space that so you had World Magazine and Christianity Today and publications like that. They gave us the news and they interpreted the news. And really, all we could do is maybe do an op-ed or something. But we had very little recourse to help shape the news, to help respond to the news, uh, not to mention to help create the news. So the blogosphere came along, social media came along, and totally democratized it so that now everybody can create content, everybody can respond to the news, everybody can do an op-ed whenever they want because there's no editor between you and the world, right? You can just put it out on your blog. So to say, does blogging matter, or is really the question is, is blogging going to disappear? In that sense, absolutely not. We're not going to capitulate. We're not going to give back information to the few gatekeepers. Those days are done mm-hmm. um, because of the Internet. So in one way or another, the, the little people, the you know whoever, everyone is going to have a voice. Whether that's through something we continue to call blogging, I don't know. Um, I could see the word falling out of fashion because it's a little bit goofy and uh, has some bad connotations attached to it. But I don't foresee a day anytime soon when, once again, we're all subscribing to magazines and getting our information that way. Definitely, you and I and millions of other Christians, people are still going to want a voice, and we have all the platforms to do it through social media. So in that way, we're here to stay. Let's, let's, go, to, uh, let's go to Twitter. So I, I put it out on Twitter, kind of a new thing here, saying, okay, I'm going to be interviewing you know, Challies this week. What questions do you have? So we've got two. You know, the first one's from Brian Higabotham at Ryan underscore Hig. He, he says... How have you chosen the topics for your books? You write widely on the blog, so how do you decide where to focus for your books? Yeah, well, the neat thing about the the blog is it's a great place to test ideas. And I sometimes do that deliberately. Like, I'd, I'd like to consider writing about this, so why don't I put a few ideas out there and just see if they resonate? Uh, other times, I've just had something on my heart. I've written about it, and I've seen that, you know, I could actually turn this into a book. So something like visual theology I had this idea of infographics, like what if we could display truth instead of just writing about truth, which especially in the conservative Christian space we're really good at, what if we tried to display it? And uh, those images really took off. They really resonated with people. So I thought, all right, well, maybe we can do a book there. We can then bring words and images back together and create a book. The same was true with Sexual Detox. I wrote a series for young guys. And that seemed to resonate with people. So I thought, right, well, this is the skeleton structure here for a book. So why don't I just pull these out, turn them into a book? And uh, I think that book will do well because it's done well in the in the blogosphere. So it, I, I think the, the book ideas typically in one way or another are drawn out of the wider writing ministry then. That's good. And uh, Dave, Dave Mitchell, I think he's actually here in Houston, at the fourth Dave, he asks, how do you balance producing web content and working on offline content? And how do you factor in a rigorous reading schedule? Would offline content, would you understand that to be books, things like that? I think so, yeah. Yeah. So the heart of what I do is blogging. I'm not an author, not a book author, uh, as much as an online writer. So that's the heart of what I do. 
So I work very hard to ensure that nothing I do offline will interfere with what I do online. So when I'm writing books, I try to, um, you know, maybe spend the first couple of days in the week writing blog posts, getting a few in place, and then spend a couple of days writing the book because those two don't, I don't find they work very well together. My creative energy can go to one direction or the other, but rarely to two, two very big ones, which is actually the real struggle I have when preaching. Um, I find that my blogging diminishes, the, the quality of my blogging diminishes in weeks when I'm preaching because so much of my creative energy is focused yeah. on interpreting, understanding, applying God's Word through a, a sermon. So um, I don't remember the rest of the question. Well, no, that's, that's really good because I think it ties back into you, what you laid out and do more better about knowing yeah. knowing your roles and responsibilities and that since you have those lined out in your life, it helps you know lay out your week. Yeah, yeah. That, I call that the, the Randy Alcorn lesson when... Um, he, he and I have spoken a couple of times, and I just wanted to get information from him. How do you structure your life? How do you do what you do so well? And he said that he he understands his ministry is writing. It's not public speaking. It's not preaching. It's writing. So the focus of what he has to do in order to be faithful to what he thinks the Lord is particularly gifted and called him to do is writing. So he doesn't take many speaking invitations. He doesn't do much preaching. Why? Because those things tend to take his eyes off what matters most. It tends to take his energy away from what matters most. Mm -hmm. And uh, I tend to do a fair bit more speaking than he would, I think, in my, over the course of the year. But I do find it, it really interferes uh, with the, the writing ministry. So I, I'm continuing to try to find a balance between those. But I, I enjoy the speaking, getting out there enough that I don't want to, to take that away. Yeah, and we're we're all so many of us are so grateful for your for your writing ministry. And it's a blessing to thousands upon thousands, as I'm sure you know. Just want to well, encourage you. Keep going, man. Keep going. I'm sure you will. Appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. And so the the second part of Dave's question was your rigorous reading schedule. How do you factor yeah. that in? Yeah, well, one thing I always want to tell people when it comes to reading is well, I guess maybe two things. D. A. Carson once said there's reading and then there's reading. And I think what he meant by that was sometimes you read every word and you dwell on it and those books can take days or weeks to read. Then there's the reading where you're just banging through books. So if you've read seven books on parenting, the eighth book is going to be pretty quick. In D.A. Carson's case, when you've read 12 commentaries on Romans, probably the 13th commentary, you read really, really quickly because yeah. you already know what he's going to say. You already, you've read the sources that he's quoting. So in this, the, the kind of reform space I dwell in, if I'm reading a book about parenting, well, chances are they're quoting Ted Tripp a lot. They're quoting John Piper and Tim Keller a lot. So I've already got the background knowledge. So I'm not reading, I'm not dwelling on every word. I've already read the books that have influenced this person. And so I'm more reading to, to see what changes he makes or what different directions he goes in. But that's a much faster form of reading. Um, then the other thing would be, that the more you read, the better you get at it. So people think the first time they read a parenting book, or even the first time they read a book, they should be reading at the speed of someone who's read hundreds of books. But no, reading is a skill, and you get better at it as time goes on, better in your comprehension, better in your, um, just even in your ability to read quickly. So uh, I'd encourage people to set a time, um, set aside time for reading, and just realize that you can grow at it over time and uh, be, feel free to bail on bad books. You don't have to finish a book that's not worth your while. There's a lot of mistakes people make that I think really keep them from enjoying reading the way they could. Vary your reading diet. Read a lot of different things. Read books that are just plain fun with no enduring value. That's okay too. Yeah. What, uh, what, what books are you reading right now? If you want to name a couple off the top of your head. 
Yeah, I'm just finishing up Lecrae's autobiography, um, which I think releases next week. Really enjoying that one. I'm uh, still plowing through Les Mis, which was good for the first 9,000 pages. It's starting to to <laughs> sit heavy on me a little ways when I realize I'm only about 20% of the way oh, through. Oh, man. I've seen the movie. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to read a classic this year, and I thought, oh, that one looks big. That shouldn't be. Oh, anyways, never mind. I'm getting through it. Awesome. I'm reading, uh, when you talk about the books that don't have any enduring quality. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if this has an, it might have enduring quality. I don't know. It's called a hundred deadly skills. And, oh man, it's so fun. It's basically like all, all the Jason Bourne kind of oh, skills, yeah. like how to make an improvised weapon if you needed to out of an umbrella and just all this kind of stuff. Got it. Well, that could have some bearing on life, I suppose. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll find out. Yeah, you will. <laughs> So uh, let's as we last question as we come to come to the end here, what, what's your advice for an aspiring writer? How should they start? What common pitfalls that, that they should avoid? Yeah, I guess the first thing is just write, right? Like before you do anything else, don't think about writing, don't read about writing. Just write. Find your voice. Find what interests you. Um, so just just dedicate yourself to the craft a little bit, and then I guess the second thing is. Only write if you'd write even if nobody read it. Mm. So I think where a lot of people, they, they look at blogging and they think, oh, I could do that. And they create three blog posts and lo and behold, 10,000 people haven't read them. So they just give up. But the greatest value in writing is what you get out of it, right? It's the personal development that goes on. I, uh, For me, writing is my meditation or a big form of my meditation is taking truth and and understanding what do I really believe about this and how would this play out in my life and so the joy of writing is not necessarily what other people get out of it it's what I get out of it I'm I benefit more than anyone else by what I do so if you can understand writing that way then it gives you the the rationale to just keep doing it to see how it'll play out in your own sanctification and your own ability to live a life that's pleasing to God. So so write for you first. Now, that can, again, sound a little egocentric, but it really is very, very freeing. It frees you from the need to, to be validated by other people reading your writing. It, it frees you from anything but just enjoying the benefit that it brings in your own life and your own faith. That's good. So you think it matters where? Do they start in a journal or Medium yeah. or WordPress or just wherever, whenever? Yeah, I would start... Um, privately first. So just start writing in a journal or write online, get Ulysses and just start putting some articles in it. I wouldn't start a blog until you've already figured out whether you're going to do it long term. So write long enough to know it's the first three blog posts are easy, right? It's the yeah. ones after that that are hard. So come up with a bunch of ideas for a few weeks, kind of do a dry run in your own journal and your own computer. And if you find that, no, I can get a flow here. This is fun then start putting it out public. The benefit of that is you've already got some things written, so on slow days or slow times, you, you actually have a little bit of content you can you can pull from. Uh, it, but it also teaches you the pattern. The, the best blogs are the ones where you know what to expect. If I go every Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, there will be new content. The ones that tend not to do very well are the ones where occasionally I write on Monday, sometimes on Friday. I never know what to expect. So I, as a reader, don't develop habits of, of visiting it, of seeing if there's new things. But if you're consistent, people will develop habits around you. Yeah, that's good. Tim, thank you so much, man. I'm so grateful for you and for your, your work and all that you've done for so many of us and, uh, and reformed evangelicalism and just in the broader church. I think we're, we're grateful from your book reviews to your, your helpful discernment and your encouragement. And so, man, thank you so much for joining me. 
Yeah, you're very welcome. This was fun. Thank you for listening to Home Row. Please go to iTunes and leave a rating so news can spread and the podcast will go into the ears of many more. Thank you so much.